0: Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the Stadio Podcast. Oh no. I know. I'm Moose Okwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how do, why do we keep coming back? <laughs> how do we get here? How do we get here? Destined to dance again. How do we get here? But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been emotional. It's been great. It's been emotional. Thank you to everyone who's um, listened so far. It's really gratifying to have you all with us and it's been fun. It's really been fun. It has been fun at this of all times, it's been such a welcome diversion, distraction, digression from everything around. It's really great just to talk football. It's funny because someone sent me a slightly snippy uh, tweet the other day to the effect of, you know, oh, anything to keep the conversation about football going. And I'm like, I just love talking football. Like this is what I, you know, it's standard.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, reply guy's going to reply, (laughs) Musa. Exactly. it is what it is. You know that. (laughs) What have you been up to this week?
0: I actually went for an amazing walk. Listen, shout out to Helena Merriman, a producer at BBC Radio 4, who's made an incredible podcast series called Intrigue. It's about the early 1960s and a student who escapes through the Berlin Wall and then helps people get their families out through the burning wall oh, wow. having escaped to the west already so he goes back to help using a tunnel it's called intrigue and the other night i walked down because i live quite near the burning wall i walked down to the burning wall and walked along it listening to this podcast which was an incredible experience because it's so well made sounds very powerful yeah kind of walking alongside history while listening to history so yeah shout out to helena merriman it's on bbc radio Four podcast, bbc sounds called intrigue is absolutely amazing and it's just a great accompaniment for my evening walks. So, yeah. Nice. What are you even up to? What's new?
1: Well, I mean, that's just going to put mine to shame because I I just named my plants.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
1: I only named two. So I named my palm plant Arnold. Arnold. <laughs> and I've got an umbrella plant that is now called Rihanna.
0: Rihanna I, Rihanna, I can see because that name's always on your mind because it's quite a nice musical name.
1: It's not always on my mind at all.
0: Dude, it's the name of your... <laughs>
1: my instagram account is bad goal rye right, right. yeah yeah,
0: yeah but... that's very much yes yeah. so it's part of your if you had to name something something rihanna would be a name i'd imagine on the shortlist well, it's an
1: umbrella plant Yep, yeah, it's an umbrella a uh,
0: plant see there you go there's the energy that's big ryan energy but arnold i'm intrigued by that where's that come? arnold palmer it's a palm plant oh my goodness (laughs) it ain't that deep (laughs) (laughs) it ain't that deep but it is very funny it is very funny i'll give you that so
1: we've got arnie and riri
0: (laughs) (laughs) arnold palm plant oh my goodness
1: (laughs) i told you about this thing like how i always wanted a cat and if i had a cat i was going to call it ces (laughs) fabricat
0: oh my goodness (laughs) what if the cat understood
1: yeah, I mean, the thing was, when Cesc went to Chelsea, that kind of put that, put that dream to bed. Fabric. But I still might. Cesc
0: Fabricat. Fabricat. <laughs> get, get out of here. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with that? Oh, my goodness. I've never said so wanted to deport someone from their own podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one pressing the buttons. That's true. <laughs> I'm the one making you sound good, Musa. Don't <laughs> piss
0: me off, Moosa. <laughs> <Stanley.
1: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I'm like deep into series three of The Wire now as well. So everything's getting, you know, favour central. I mean, maybe we should talk more about this next week, because obviously we're going to have our two Wire episodes next week. So we'll probably get into that a little bit more. But yeah, before we move on, a little bit of admin. We have a few people hit us up quite regularly asking whether there's a playlist of the tunes that we play out on each week. Yeah, there is. Basically, it's a Spotify playlist. And in each episode description in your podcast app, we put a link to it. It's constantly updating. The newest tune goes on the top every week. But yeah, if if anyone's wondering... That's where it goes. Um, Shout out to Fotmob. I'm not sure if we're going to do a follow-up piece for this episode this week, but we might do. I'm not sure yet, but um, go and download the Fotmob app anyway. Good people. And they've got some fun stuff going on there at the moment as well. So I'd recommend downloading it for iOS or Android if you haven't already. Anything else admin-wise? Yeah, let's get into an email quick. So we got an email off Gareth Williams saying, um, congratulations on getting to 50 podcasts. Assuming the world doesn't end before then. Thanks, Gareth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, (laughs) Gareth.
1: Did you know that upon reaching that milestone, 22% of your pods will have been aired without any live football being discussed? Quite an achievement, really. That's pretty remarkable.
0: I mean, at this point, we're almost like a documentary series, aren't we? Talking about, <laughs> you know, we're like we're like the blue planet of football.
1: I was going to say in the thick of it. We're the in the thick of it of football. A mockumentary. <laughs> no, just just <laughs> with loads of stupid ideas and stupid concepts and stupid swearing and...
0: I don't know if I think we're like a budget I think we're like a pound shop Attenborough we're pivoting we're actually we're actually archaeologists we're pivoting you like know people talk about the dinosaurs that's us talking about football wow yeah we've it's been so long since anyone's saw like a dinosaur in the wild CGI
1: Raquel Mays. exactly trying to like <laughs> the archaeologists think that the Raquel may may have
0: had a collar of colourful feathers around its <laughs> neck. <laughs> the Rekalmasaurus. Yes. <laughs> this is how the playbaker would walk 50 million years ago. Splay, <laughs> splay-footed alert to danger. Deceptively slow. They would
1: often catch larger predators by surprise <laughs> due to great vision. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God, you could totally do like a football documentary in that style.
0: We're going to end up doing that. We are. Um, so the topic today, we're talking about The unplayables, those footballers who may not necessarily go down as all-time legends, some of them might, but generally speaking, players who on their day are absolutely unplayable.
1: We should put a disclaimer at the very beginning of this is that we're going to forget some people. Please accept our deepest apologies if we've missed some people who you really think should have been in here. I mean, today's just a bit of a chat though about like players that were unplayable on their day. It's not like any kind of like ultimate 11
0: or anything like that exactly well let, let's get into it let's get into it so I want to start with George Hagi. interesting yeah and he's my unplayable because there's a fascinating thing with Hagi. I think it was Brian Glanville the great Brian Glanville who amazingly is still writing obituaries in his 90s so he wrote an obituary for Norman Hunter oh wow yeah the late great Norman Hunter I think was 76 78 I think he passed away due to coronavirus related complications and Brian Glanville who's now I think 90 wrote this beautiful obituary for Norman Hunter And Brian Glanville, I think it was, who talked about Haji being a player who kind of disappeared, who would hibernate between World Cups. Mm. After Stoa, Bucharest was very successful. He went to Real Madrid, then he went to Brescia, then Barcelona, and didn't really do much at any of those three clubs. Mm. But you never knew when Haji was going to to light up. And when he did, he was devastating. He could score from anywhere. He could playmake from anywhere. And I think there's something about that type of player, like... You cannot sustain that level of performance an entire, you can't like this. Is, this is the kind of thing about great players. You realize and look at these unplayables that we were sent by our readers. And that I've been thinking of the way th- their genius took such an unpredictable form, such a chaotic form that you cannot, you, you know, you cannot maintain that week in week out within a team structure. You just can't. Does that make yeah. sense? You can't.
1: Yeah. I find these types of players really intriguing because it's that, Being an Arsenal fan over the last 15 years especially, the club has had a seemingly never-ending cycle of players that fit into this category who on their day can be completely unplayable but just have no level of consistency whatsoever. It's really interesting because I think it shows just how good you have to be to even be a professional footballer. Because one thing that I really dislike is when you hear people come out and refer to a top-level player as being shit. No player makes it professionally and is shit at football, even semi-professionally. Yeah, sure, there are some players who make real howlers and stuff like that, and but you see just how good these players are through these moments,
0: right? Right. Exactly. If you
1: think just in the Premier League over the last fifteen years, think of the players who have been really, really maligned at various points in their career because no all-time great is maligned more of the time than they are celebrated. Right. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. And I think that's where players would fall into this category. Like we had a shout for Kaka. I mean, he was so great at AC Milan that even his dip in form at Real Madrid and then, you know, the later years of his career in the MLS, I don't think have gone to outweigh just how great he was for a sustained period of time.
0: Absolutely. Can I throw in about Kaka as well in his, his, in his defence again? I think Kaka was, was part of the first generation of modern footballers who hit the physical wall yeah. and what I mean by that is you know how like modern football has sped up so much in the last 20 years I think Kaka was one of the first of the generation where obviously he was affected by injury but Kaka, Shevchenko, Schreinsteiger, Rooney where players that grew up in the old mould where you played every single game didn't play within yourself didn't manage your body and you just played flat out you know Kaka played flat out he was pace and you know technique but the two were so tightly married and then there came a point where the drop off you remember how like a player used to peak at these used to say a player would peak at 27, 28. Yeah. But because of the physical exertions now, a lot of players are peaking at 25. Does that make sense? Mm. Because you're, you're required to do so much more. And Kaka and Shevchenko and Rooney, they went off a cliff. And it's not because they didn't care. These are hardworking footballers. It's because their bodies were simply not capable. And we see what happened with Luis Suarez as well, to a certain extent. Their bodies are simply not capable of executing at that level. So I don't think they fit into the category of unplayables who are kind of inconsistent those people were still elite decision makers.
1: I would say that even though those players did really hit a physical barrier, I would put them into maybe a higher all-time bracket than say someone like, I mean, this kind of hurts my heart a little bit to say here, but I would probably, mm, I reckon there's a middle ground between that kind of category and the category we're talking about. And I feel someone like Cesc Fabregas falls into this middle ground. I don't think he's quite an unplayable in terms of someone like Andre Arshavin or Theo Walcott to use another Arsenal reference like Theo Walcott at times was one of the most deadliest footballers in world football like his ceiling i think i think this is the thing the definition is almost like the ceiling and the the floor are really wide whereas i think Fabregas's floor was a lot higher than than these players
0: i love what you've said there you know it's like a, a look at like um a tennis player on the circuit right Someone like a um, Del Potro. Del Potro could beat anyone in the world. Del Potro could beat Federer or Djokovic at their peak. Yeah, This is what is interesting about the unplayables. At their peak, they can make anyone look abject, look normal, look ridiculous. Like Emmanuel Adebayor against AC Milan in the Champions League. I can't remember which year it was, but it was nil-nil at the Emirates. I went to the game and I have never seen Nesta, apart from the time when Ronaldinho just basically took him into the spin cycle. I have very rarely seen Nesta humiliated like that. Adebayo was brutal, terrifying physically, technically outstanding, tactically so astute. And they couldn't live with him. If they'd scored at that particular moment in the Emirates, I mean, the noise would have, you could have heard that in South London. It was unbelievable. This is what I think is so tantalizing about these unplayables. It's that we know that if the right conditions are around them and they can maintain the right mental level, they will dominate for 10 years. And just to put the Adebayo thing into context, I might have told this story already in the podcast, but I'll tell it again because I think it's relevant now. When Ruud van Nistrooy breaks through into the um, Dutch national team and he's in the dressing room and he's really excited. It's one of his first games. Edgar Davids is there and Davids has been playing for the national team for years. Mm. And Davids goes you've done so well. You're scoring so many goals at PSV. It's incredible. You've done so well to get to the national team. And Van is listening just in awe, like, oh my goodness, I'm getting praise of Edgar like And then Davids just says, now do it for the next 10 years. Wow! Yeah. And it it blew him away. And this is actually, I met him at this uh, conference, had this discussion and Minister said this and he was like, even now telling the story years later, he was in shock. He was like, that's how deep it was. Mm. That's when I realised the actual level. And I think sometimes in football, and this is why I feel sorry for some of the unplayables because they're not in squads or in teams alongside people like Henri or Vieira who do it every week. If you're not, and this is why Fabregas was slightly a victim of that. If you are in the same team, for many years, I don't just mean that the sort of the end, the tail, and the Invincibles. If you're in the same team like Fabregas was at the beginning for the next ten years, and you come into training every day with a Messi, an Henri, a Peak, Pires, you absorb that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean you absorb that? You absorb that mentality. And some a lot of these players that Arsenal they were unplayable on their day, but didn't get it. It's because they didn't have that mentorship.
1: And like we're saying before, we've kind of gone off track a little bit here because I don't think Fabregas is any in any way the kind of profile of player that we're talking about here right right but while we're on him as a topic if you think Thierry Henry left in 2007 and Fabregas was then seen as like the main guy of that side but he was still only 20 years old Saddest. at that time I think that he he bore such a heavy responsibility physically and mentally especially when he became captain that I think them there must be some kind of level of exhaustion there over time that's just almost like you know non-repairable
0: we are the apprentice, not the master. This is why I get really worried about players, young players who don't have good squad management, who don't ha- who aren't playing for squads that are well managed. For example, like you know Anthony Marshall at Manchester United, where you lose a crucial two years of development. You know, mm. you look at like Dortmund having someone like Nuri Sahin in and around the training ground is so important. When Arsenal gave Burkett that extra year to train with the first team squad, that to me at the time, I saw that and thought. This is such brilliant management. Just going into training every day and seeing Burkamp just knocking it about.
1: Yeah, it's massive. We see it all the time in the NBA, like the importance of vets. They're really, really important players for younger people to look up to.
0: And a lot of these people are glue guys. Sorry to jump in, but I want to sort of get you to clarify what a glue guy is for most people that don't know.
1: Someone like Jordan Henderson in football terms is probably a glue guy. I mean, now Jordan Henderson's turned into one of those players who's underrated but not really underrated (laughs) yeah 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 hard to pinpoint what they bring necessarily but no one really speaks a bad word about them because they do add so much and they really help everything gel like on and off the field i think that's kind of my definition of a glue guy or it just makes people around better and maybe doesn't receive as much praise for that
0: absolutely yeah yeah
1: but i mean we had loads of other suggestions for players. let's get into them a lot of people responded um Matt Letizio. Yeah, I think Letizia was actually more of a Robin Hood.
0: Yeah, exactly. Footballer. He was a Robin Hood player. Yeah. He was a cult hero slash Robin Hood who brought it every single week. Shout out to Francis Benali, those who remember Francis Benali at Southampton. Francis Benali, for those who don't know, was a lesser heralded defender, not particularly skillful, but gave his all every single game. And I think of Letizia and Benali in tandem as two players, at maybe different ends of the talent scale. But who brought that commitment? And to me, I think there's almost the unplayable is that you turn up every week and you're not quite sure what you're going to get. You knew you mm. would get the effort from Leticia, you knew he would like do his bit. But someone like, you know, Juan Ramon to kill me, you didn't really know what was coming. Yeah. You know, was he falling out with Van Haar? Was he falling out with a teammate? But then there were some matches where he was utterly bewitching. Yeah, A very strange kind of player because you had to accommodate him. I think Juan Ramon Nicolme is the closest thing that world football has seen to an actual cat on the field of play. <laughs> you, tend to, you, know, you tend to walk between the lines. Oh, he's wandering off to the left wing. What's he doing there? Ah, oh, he's getting the ball at the back four. Where's he now? Oh, he's on the left wing. Now he's in front of the... Oh, he's in front of the area. He's walking there. He's jogging there. You okay? You want some milk? Oh, I'm, I'm okay. Thanks. Look, there's a really nice pass. I, I don't want that one. And then all of a sudden you'd hit him a pass at a really bad, really bad height, awkward. And all of a sudden it's dead outside of the foot, turned away from space. And he has split the defense. You're like, how has he even seen that? And there's this refusal, almost get the impression that everyone else was given tactical instructions. And at the last minute, the coach turns to Raquel May and is like... Hulk smash, like you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to do what I tell you to do. So everyone else go out there and do their thing. And Raquel may just take your bat on and conduct what you like.
1: Do you think there's a split in terms of like that kind of unplayable player though, that are like, some of them are just a bit disinterested and therefore will only really switch it on when they want to. And some they're always interested and they're always putting in a hundred percent effort, but it doesn't quite happen all the time.
0: Uh, maybe. I think that there's a kind of, there's um a, there's a bravery to being unplayable because it's the risk factor. It's knowing that you've got to create something. A lot of those players often are in teams where they're not as gifted as, uh, their colleagues are not as gifted as them. So the pressure to go out there and innovate and improvise, and that's a great pressure when everyone knows the threat comes through you. And I have a lot of sympathy here for the number, the great number tens like Rui Costa, who, Rui Costa basically played in a team with a guy like Sandro Coes. Sandro Coes was a fine player, but fundamentally a very meat and potato central midfielder. Everyone knew the danger was coming through Rui Costa. We saw it with Juan Verón at Sampdoria and also at Parma, where you're playing at a 4 4 1 1, and everyone knows if you stop Verón, you stop Parma. Mm. That is a tremendous pressure. And we saw that actually Verón couldn't really handle it in 2002 World Cup, where you've got to go through one man. So I've got some sympathy for these players because they know their margin for error is so much smaller. Mm. Can I throw something in as well? This is one of the things to throw in. I know I'm talking a bit, but there's something to mention as well while I'm still on it. You look back at the stats of those players and you look at how much they might've lost possession. But back then, you know, we've now got, we have the four, four, one, one. Now we've got the four, three, three, where it's much more about triangles in the modern era. You know, it's kind of gone full circle like football often does. And it's more about like multiple playmakers in one team. Whereas before, that primary responsibility on the playmaker means that you would lose the ball more. You were given this free role to interpret. And it's very hard to pull that off Mm. more than once every three games, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One from Paul Scratton. As a Liverpool fan, I'll give this grudgingly to Fellaini and Berbatov. Sana Qureshi also shouts to Sana she said Fellaini when he played at her beloved Toffees.
0: I think actually Berbatov and Fellaini in their own way are key cases of this. Berbatov more obviously, Mm. because he got the hat-trick against Liverpool. Like Berbatov on his day, devastating. But there was a concern about work ethic. Fellaini is interesting because Fellaini, if you look at him, the the greatest victories of Louis van Gaal's tenure at Manchester United against Spurs, against Manchester City in the derby, against Liverpool Anfield, Fellaini was absolutely central in each one. It's so interesting. If you use Fellaini, he's very good Um, for specific reasons. His chest control is well known. His heading ability is great. But the other thing he does very, very well is play really fast in transition. Mm. Really fast. When he's slightly higher at the pitch, Flaney receives possession and he touches it off one touch to either channel. And it's such a a strange and narrow skill set. It's like going into a sword fight and he can only fight in an alleyway right like if you put if you fight in a field there's no chance but if you put him in an alleyway he's the most lethal in the world and that's for he's basically like the ultimate back alley hand-to-hand fighter if that makes sense
1: it makes sense
0: yeah it's kind of weird but i think it works right it's kind of weird but it works
1: i think we should take a break and then come back and go into this let's do it (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're back from the break and we're going to do like a quick fire. What, a quick fire? I mean, when is anything quick fire with us? We say, <laughs> yeah, let's, do, let's, let's rattle through some stuff really quickly and then we're 10 minutes on the first thing. I would like to throw out a unplayable. Gerard Delafeyu. Yes, oh my goodness. He is probably a modern day example, like the modern day example of an unplayable. That's amazing. There have been times where he has absolutely torched teams, like torched them. And you look at him and you're just like, this kid is absolutely incredible. I mean, before we kind of carry on, he suffered a massively horrible injury just before football stopped. And we hope he's kind of doing all right. Amen mentioned that, yeah. But man, there have been times where I've seen him play at Everton. He torched Arsenal a number of times. To be honest, a lot of these players have shown how good they can be against Arsenal over the years.
0: ha <laughs> ha! I first saw Delefeu in the under-21s for Spain. In terms of how much better he was a so many around him, it reminded me of Ribéry for France. And Delefeu just, he's almost like the heir to Antonio Cassano, a player who is so technically gifted that at some point you're like, they must look at the field and be like, why am I playing a triangle when I can just beat these three men? You know, that must be the strange thing. It must be almost like, why have I got an entire crew with me? I could rob this bank by myself and be home by lunch. Like, and that's almost the thing for the, the, for the, the supernaturally gifted footballer. There is this weird, um, this weird moment of having to constrain yourself, right? It's like being an incredible drummer and the conductor always going, rhythm section, rhythm section. Like, what's the point? Why do I have to be in the rhythm section?
1: I don't know. There's like, a there's an air of the percussionist about the unplayable.
0: (laughs) That's an amazing description.
1: Like to be an absolute elite percussionist, your technical level has to be like off the scale. But it is like one of those things where you're not happy not playing
0: solos all the time. Oh my goodness. This is why I think actually the greatest, great unplayable who's currently playing, I think it's Kareem Benzema. Because I think that Kareem Benzema is... He's made it to the top. Like He's a legend, Karim Benzema. Don't get me wrong. He's made it. But there's something about him where you look at him and go, the gap between your base level and your absolute peak, like Karim Benzema on his day, he's like an unplayable and inconsistent guy that made it. Yeah, Because his work ethic is high and his finish is not always the best. But Benzema, basically, he's got the trophies to show. He's got the goals. His ratio is great. But this is a prime example of
1: an unplayable being not hidden, because you can't really hide anyone, but you yeah. can absorb them, if that makes sense. That's the word that I want to use. You can you can surround them with players where all they need to be in that environment is kind of quite mercurial. Right, yeah. They don't need to be 9 out of 10 every week. They can be 9 out of 10 in one in every four games because the rest of the time they only really need to be like a 5. Or they just need to be there. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to read this one out from Kebabas. He said, shout out to whoever sent in the anti-hero 11 that you read out on the last podcast because Magico Gonzalez is a perfect shout for this. Someone once said to Maradona, you're the best footballer in the world. And he replied, no, there's someone better. And he plays in Cadiz. Magico.
0: I love stuff like that. Imagine
1: being that good that even Maradona's like, no, 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 he's better than me. Didn't Maradona doesn't think Messi's better than him. so it's
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That's a great quote. That's like Kendrick saying, there's a battle rapper in LA that could just shred me if I had, to, if he had to.
1: Mm. Sorry, just quickly, it was um, Frank's sidekick who sent in the anti-hero 11.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Frank. Yeah. Those players as well are funny because they often stay at small clubs, right? Mm. The Notissie thing. It's, but there's also an element of the conditions at that club are so right for them to succeed. So you had that with um, Julien Guerrero yeah. at Athletic Bilbao. He you know, was a wonder kid and never really did it for anyone other than Athletic Bilbao. But in that specific setup was extraordinary. Sometimes we don't give those players enough credit. I think they're loved after the game. I think that we fall in love with them later. But at the time, and maybe even now we're like, oh my goodness, they don't deliver, they don't deliver. And you know, I've mentioned Savicic many times before. And he was a guy that was indulged at Milan. They called, you know, Berlusconi called him the genius. Mm-hmm. But there is something quite beautiful about What's that quote by Vision in, um, <laughs> sorry, another Avengers quote, in The Age of when Vision says, a thing isn't less beautiful just because it's doomed. And I think that's important. You, you look at something like, you a player like Cassano and you think he could have won more, or like JJ You look at his career and think he could have won more and he could have had more end product. Then you hit yourself, if you think of the number of afternoons of joy that he gave mm. that go beyond a trophy cabinet, there are many players far more decorated who don't live in the memory like them and I think you know we've said this maybe before but football is about moments I think ultimately
1: yeah we you mentioned a name there and we had a tweet from Natalie at trans something on Twitter uh, Natalie says Berbatov Jorkaev JJ Kotcher, Georgie Kinkladzi Carnu. a massive oh chat. my
0: goodness kanu we have to talk about Carnu.
1: yeah oh well gladly I just didn't want this to be too Arsenal centric I told you there were loads of them at Arsenal right? Who cares? Loads, loads of players at Arsenal were that fit into this category
0: who cares let's talk about Kanu okay Kanu I love that shot because there's unplayable and there's another level of unplayable which is unfathomable I watch Kanu and I cannot still work out what was going on there there was a, go- a goal Anelka scores against Manchester United which Kanu creates with a single sidestep that's mm-hmm. it he creates the space and he plays a square pass and Anelka hammers it in the top corner and I think it's Yapstam that he takes out with the sidestep. And I'm like, you have no respect. That's Yap Stamp. Yeah. Or like when Kanu comes in, in the Champions League final, he comes on as a sub and starts taking on Beresi and Maldini. And I'm like, it's not the development squad. This is not five aside. Like, Caru is one of the few players I've seen in world football who seems to have absolutely no respect or regard for the surrounding circumstances. He's having a kickabout with some of the greatest defenders ever lived. You know, and you know, you have players like Ronaldo and, you know, the Brazilian Ronaldo phenomenon, they would at least dignify the occasion. They'd be like, okay, well, when Ronaldo was running at a defender, you like, this is a serious match. When Carnu was doing it, it was almost like he'd forgotten where he was.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, he, he's done some things that I've never seen footballers do. Oh, Carnu, man. I can't think of many players who have brought me more joy at various moments in their careers than Caru. <laughs> I think his, th- his hat-trick goal against Chelsea at the Stamford Bridge that time, where Ed De Hoy comes out, and I'm just like, I think the thing about that is that that is a big moment, and I think this is something that defines these kinds of players in that not even right, not even some of the greatest players in the world would take that on because they are like we've said a number of times before, right? Some of the best players, the best players of all time, and the best players in the world. Aren't just players who have immense ability, but their decision making is like second to none, and it's as important because they make the right decision at the right time. I'm still not sure that that decision was the right decision from Carno, Weirdly, <laughs> because he's because he scored it right, so it's clearly the right decision. But I honestly think 99 times out of 100 that's the wrong decision. And if you think of the angle, two players on the line, basically, or within a yard or two of the of the of the goal line, and he's He's not even taken another touch. He's just buried it.
0: He's placed it over them into the corner. But with
1: power, you know, it's not the stereotypical pace and power that people always say for a, for a black guy up front. It's like he's placed it, but he's used power. It's like place and power. Place it's, in, and pr- it's just, it's one of the most incredible things I've seen.
0: Can I, can I have a theory for you? I think the reason that Kanu doesn't get talked about so much in this rank is because I think that he just blew people's minds. They can't understand him. Because when they talk about black footballers, African footballers, they don't think of Kanu because he doesn't compute. Look, if you think about Kanu, like his build, he looked like a scarecrow, right? He's got this like, no matter what shirt he wore, it was always baggy, right? It was always baggy. And he had this very naughty... He had a very naughty expression, like a child that had just stolen a handful of peanuts, right? That's his, yeah. that's his <laughs> yeah. core energy. He was so <laughs> naughty. He was so naughty.
1: Sorry, that is such an amazing description. <laughs> <laughs> naughty.
0: He's so naughty. And then you think to yourself, like, you'd watch him in those games, those big games for Ajax, and the clubs he played for as well was extraordinary. The clothes I can compare him to is almost like the drunken master in Kung Fu where you think of fighting someone, you go, okay, well, I'll fight that guy, actually. like you, could, you might fight the conventional ninja because with Kanu, you had no idea. He's one of the few people that could fight you with three swords. He'd, he'd have two, one on either hand, and he would juggle the third. And he'd kill you with the third one that was in midair. That's his whole energy. Like, it was a genuinely mystical player. And the peak Kanu, for anyone that hasn't watched it, was the 1996 Olympic tournament, mm-hmm. which is, to me, the greatest Nigeria team I've ever seen because everything was perfectly in balance. And if you watch... Carnu dismantle brazil wearing the number four shirt in that game and there is a goal that Carnu scores where he plays a through ball to ikpaba and ikpaba's running forward and the ball comes off his back because he's not running he doesn't time his run properly mm. and Carnu just thinks screw this and just takes himself and hammers it with his left foot from 20 yards it's it's one of the greatest games i've ever seen it's amazing
1: that game i used a bit of that commentary on um so we did the stadio sessions last Friday, it was amazing. which was an Africa special. So it was just music and music from all over Africa and commentary of players from all around Africa. I think I used that goal, actually, commentary on that goal, but French commentary.
0: But Canu is again, This I love that you mentioned that because oh, shout out to Ryan as well for that session because you were amazing. It's an amazing session. Cheers, man. You can listen to it again. We'll put a link in the uh, description. Such a great session. Uh, but while I still remember, Carnu's goal in the derby against Spurs. Oh, man. Can I be honest with you? How does a black man that big go missing? Like, <laughs> really, i <I'm, I'm> like, <laughs> you're, you're in the age, dem- you're in the demographic <laughs> for racial profiling. He must have been reported.
1: <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get a race joke in. We've not done it yet. Exactly, exactly. We've got, we need to get our water weekend.
0: A man of African descent goes missing in the North London area. <laughs> Approximately 4.47 p.m. <laughs>
1: I just loved him. I absolutely adored Kanu
0: who mentioned that because I, I'm so happy they mentioned is it, it-
1: uh, Natalie on Twitter at trans something some from Jimmy Colville on Twitter he said on a North African theme Hatam Ben Arthur Adel Tarat and Riyad Mahrez at Leicester not sure about Mahrez now
0: Mahrez peaked Ma- Mahrez had his time Mahrez no Mahrez is a boss and he was so consistent he's so consistent that year and it, I put him in different category I think that Ben Arthur and uh, Tarat fall into that category for sure hmm Ben Arthur's talent level.
1: Astronomical.
0: Yeah, it was the same when, like, when Louis Saha came through and those people like Saha and Ben Arthur were like blessed with natural ability that was above and beyond. Like people were like, those are the guys that will conquer all. And they almost operated in the shadow of that talent because the problem with someone like Hatton Ben Arthur, it was almost like the Hugo Viana problem when he went from Portugal to, to Newcastle. You have to have the right conditions to succeed. And Ben Arfa was happiest when a team was built around him. And I'm not even saying it was a big club thing, a small club thing. I think Ben Arfa is such a particular talent that he needed the right conditions. Um, yeah. Adel Tarapt is a slightly strange one because I think that there was an example of a player who, where did he go? He went to Spurs, didn't quite work there. They went to QPR
1: worked for a bit. Hey, Adults are at now he's having a lovely time playing to hold in midfield at Benfica.
0: Right. Which proves which proves that he has discipline. It proves that he yeah. wasn't some Mercurial, didn't care type player. He just had the whole wrong context. And if you yeah. look at the team, the time he was at Spurs, you know, oh seven to twenty ten, that was a very broken Spurs squad. Yeah, definitely. And
1: you know? um, let's read out a few from people who've tweeted us. So one from Karen Ravalia says Alvaro Ricoba, big shout huge one from john barrett Florin maluda had a season there where it didn't look like any fullback in world football was safe from him i agree
0: yeah for sure have we spoke about nanny yet
1: we haven't but i mean nanny is peak unplayable yeah absolutely uh there was a couple from how underscore greg on twitter peter weir and iron robin iron robin is an interesting one i find i don't think he is in this category because i think that His moments of greatness were too frequent and his body of work, if you like, is too sustained.
0: Robin was good even in a bad Madrid team.
1: I think he's almost at that like turbo unplayable where those kind of players, they're not in this category. They mimic a similar behavioural pattern, but the peaks and troughs aren't so wide and they're more frequent.
0: Absolutely. I, I think Robin actually doesn't fit this. Even Peter Weir. I mean, Peter Weir was astonishing for Aberdeen and brilliant against Real Madrid. And I think Weir was, I think, maybe a better example of that. But even within the Aberdeen team, Weir had such a defined role as the go-to genius. Mm. Um, But but back to Robin. Robin was simply, I mean, one of the most consistent wingers of recent times. And only because of those high profile misses, he might fall into that strange bracket of not quite achieving potential. But I think he's the guy.
1: Uh, Another one from Jimmy Culver was Keith Gillespie. Says, ask that Barca left back, whoever it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was cool. Yeah.
1: Faustino Aspria. Yeah, I mean we were, what was what was the conversation that we were talking about the other day? You and I were WhatsApping and we were saying about were you talking about George Ware and you were saying look at the sides that people played for and I said yeah but it, there was that strange era where
0: it was JJ Cotcher.
1: It was JJ Cotcher, right? Let's talk about Cotcher because we haven't really spoke about Cotcher yet. I think JJ Cotcher falls into this category and era where like the tectonic plates start to move within football. Yeah. If you were going to pick an absolute decade where that happened, it's probably the 90s. Right, right. Now, I think if JJ Acocha starts his career in the 2000s, I don't think George Weff quite fits into this, but I think it definitely happens to JJ. Someone like JJ goes to Real Madrid or Barcelona or PSG now. Someone like that. Or Manchester City at 21. But back then, I think it was still like the old model where you would have someone like Maradona ending up in Naples for the majority of his career, the gap between the super clubs and the next tier, it was it wasn't so like the cycles were smaller, the level of dominance was rarely as sustained as it is nowadays, and it noth- nothing was as funnelled towards the top, the very very top. You know, the top of the pyramid, if you like, was wider because we were talking about players not playing for or rarely playing for absolute elite level clubs, right? Yeah, but what's being really great players, and I think I said to you, I think it was just that weird era where things were starting to move, but they hadn't fully moved yet. So you would get JJ Kocha at places like Eintracht back in the early 90s and Bolton.
0: That's a brilliant observation. And that's completely right. I mean, you're right. I don't want to name too many names because it sounds like I'm disrespecting the smaller clubs they played for, so I won't. But you're right. This sense of go to a club, earn decent money, have a good chance of winning like an FA Cup or a League Cup and being rightly quite happy with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is no disrespect to the clubs that they played for at all. But what we're saying is that some of these players, if they were coming through now, would be scooped up by those super rich elite clubs. Absolutely. absolutely. I don't think there were few of them that existed at that moment in time because the gap, the wealth wasn't as as big. So yeah, I mean, JJ, I think is definitely up there. I mean, there's a number. We've mentioned Shavin, but I think Shavin on his day was an absolute peak unplayable.
0: I always Um, remember the comment that Mourinho made. It was a bit nasty about Oshavin being in his late 20s and Mourinho saying, ask yourself why it's taken him until his late 20s to get a move to a big European club, which is typical like nasty Mourinho. But with all typically nasty Mourinho comments, there's always that grain of uncomfortable truth. Yeah. And that sense of why has a player that good just been in Russia for that long? You know, when he could have been, you know, you're captaining a team, you're captaining a country of 300 million people. I think he just really enjoyed playing football Playing for Zenit. Yeah. Just, I think it you just, just love playing for Zenit. So there's a guy in our like, Sunday league. There's a guy in our Sunday league in uh, Germany. He's like the best player in the league. Like he's good enough to play at a high level. He could play semi-pro. Every season he scores 40 goals. And he's got his own, like he's a self-made man. He's got his own business. And everyone hates him because he's the best goal scorer. He always scores last minute winners. And he's like the local hero. Like he's amazing. He, his team wins basically every year, his league title team. And I look at him and go, I kind of rate that. I kind of rate the fact that you're not playing in a semi-pro league where it's a bit more miserable, where you're training three times a week. You're training twice a week with your mates. You're winning the league every year. You're scoring a ton of goals. And I kind of rate that. And I kind of feel like, and you know, shout out to the unplayables because something nice about just knowing your level and playing your position, mm. you know?
1: Uh, shout out to Southampton Rob, who submitted one. Yay, Southampton Rob. He said Kevin Davies. So I knew he'd go for a Southampton player. Incredible. Great shout, though. It is a great shout. I mean, again, someone who used to destroy Arsenal on the regular. <laughs> like, absolutely. I don't know what it is about Arsenal, man. Uh, this is a good one from James Splash on Twitter. Dimitri Payo.
0: Yes. Just went on that run, that two-year run, and was unplayable. 18 months, really. But you couldn't do anything with him.
1: One from Luke Taylor from the Culture Division. Shouts to Luke. He put Ben Arthur, rat Javier Pastore. I like that. That's kind of really, interested.
0: That's really good.
1: Uh, Shinji Kagawa and Ever Benega. See, I'd actually disagree with those two. I'd put maybe Ever Benega in there, actually, because he can do things that are like mind blowing. But again, half the time I think he looks like he's on the beach.
0: Whereas with Kagawa, I think Kagawa has a different issue where he works very well in a very precise configuration. Yeah. If you had Kagawa behind a Van Nistelrooy or, you know, had Lewandowski in front of two hard-working Matthias Almeida type defence midfielders with wingers that push up is a very particular configuration where he's astonishing Mm. but if you don't give him that if you put him in a midfield four he'll be overawed.
1: yeah definitely actually Luke's a Newcastle fan Newcastle are an absolute melting pot for unplayables (laughs) because you think they had a spree as well Tomori Ketsbier you could probably chuck him in there as well actually he was out of this world Philippe Albert as a defender was probably an unplayable, like a defensive
0: version of an unplayable. And Andy, Car- Andy Carroll, again, there's another one that was unplayable. Andy yeah.
1: But Car- I think, I think he was, his was the injuries. Yes. Okay. That's fair. You know, someone, someone said Abu Diaby, but I think, yeah, but injuries. when injuries, it can't be an injury that stops them from being genuinely great. I think, cause you just can't, you can't account for that. But yeah, man, anyone else you want to throw out before we get out of here? Cause I think we, we've rambled enough <laughs> on our unplayables. <laughs> I mean we understand that this is a little bit of a weird topic that kind of again it's one of our like we understand what we mean things but (laughs) the
0: definition (laughs) is so precise but I enjoyed that man that was a nice one. There's a magic and a fantasy in players who you're like this is unsustainable and that's why I have to watch it because Mm -hmm. it's not going to come around again. It's like Halley's Comet it's once every 76 years or something so yeah I love my unplayables.
1: Yeah it's a good shout man
0: let's wrap this yeah but before we go um if you're listening uh check us out on apple podcast leave a review on apple podcast because it really helps to (laughs) grow the podcast (laughs) this fucking guy (laughs) i just like saying that
1: i know you do don't forget check us on twitter at stadio or instagram stadio football the website is stadio.football we'll put a link in the description to the stadio sessions and the stadio outros spotify playlist so you can listen to all the music you may have heard in the background we're playing out this week on entry by Exaltera, and we're going to be back on thursday we hope everyone's staying well and safe and healthy and doing okay during this very very weird time and yeah i suppose that's everything
0: indeed it is see
1: you in a few days